Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning, God. And I just pray as we look into your word that our hearts will be open. God, I pray that this morning as we look at the cross, we'll embrace it. God, I pray people here who aren't Christians will give their lives to you. And God, I pray that people who are Christians, God, will be reinvigorated, Lord, as we look at what you went through for us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you give the band a hand? Wasn't that great? Good morning. It is great to see you all with us today. On August the 8th, last year, 2018, the date's important, a Burmese man named Elias was crucified in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Did you hear what I just said? He was crucified on a cross. He was convicted of two counts of robbery, attempted rape, and of murder. And the the punishment in Mecca, Saudi Arabia for that crime was crucifixion. Did you know they're still crucifying people in parts of the world? Is that not incredible? I I didn't study much about that. But this morning in John 19, we're going to look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the death of Jesus Christ. And as we look at the Bible, we have a lot of information about what happened. And, and I, I want to, this morning, I want to challenge you. If you have your Bibles, turn to that. If you don't, the Scriptures will be on the screens. But, man, let's look at the cross this morning. Let's try to embrace it and, and leave here differently because of what Christ went through for you and me. Let's begin with this. We're going to try to answer some questions this morning. Number one is what? What happened on the cross? What was the cross about? We talk about the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, and the cross was a beautiful symbol to us. It was a horrible symbol 2,000 years ago. What happened to Jesus specifically on the cross? We're in John 19, but all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, share this. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. Look them up when you get home because we're going to touch on some things that the other Gospels say this morning. Matthew 26 and 27, 26 and 27 Mark 14 and 15, Mark 14 and 15, and Luke 22 and 23, 22 and 23 also tell this story, and they give different eyewitness accounts to what happened. But let's begin with this this morning. What, what all was involved with Jesus on the cross? The first thing that the Gospels tell us is Jesus went before the Jewish leaders for, we would say, a trial. In, in Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence for the Resurrection, now listen, this is significant. In about a 12-hour period, they say Jesus actually had three tri- six trials that he went Went through three Jewish trials and three Roman trials. Can you imagine that? In about a 12-hour period, you go through three different formal investigations about you. And we're told in Matthew 26 and 27, when Jesus went before the Jewish leaders, they weren't getting the answers they wanted in the Jewish guard that was there too. They began to slap Jesus and hit Jesus and spit on Jesus. And the verbiage in that passage says that they continually hit him, continually slapped him, and continually spit on him. I was reading this book this week. This scholar said, in Jesus' day, to be someone to spit in your face was a a very terrible thing. And I put the book down and started laughing. When has that ever been a good thing? Would you agree? 
But I want you to think everything we're going to talk about this morning, this is not happening to the worst person you know. This is not happening to the most horrible criminal you know. This is happening to Jesus Christ. So it begins with the abuse he takes before the Jewish leaders. Secondly, there's the flogging. There's the flogging. In, in John 19, 1, it says this. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, you notice it hardly says anything there for two reasons. One, they knew what it meant to be flogged. That would be like saying they took Jesus to a football game. We, we knew, we know it. We wouldn't need a lot of explanation. But also, the flogging was such a terrible thing, they didn't want to go into detail about it. They didn't want to have to spend a lot of time telling about it because they knew how horrible it was. Now, Pilate is wanting to to rough Jesus up, and hopefully the Jewish people will say, that's enough, let him go. That's not what happened. And flogging was normally a part of capital punishment. When you were sentenced to death, you were going to be flogged. What was involved in, in being flogged? It was a horrible thing. They either stripped you completely or stripped you from the waist down. They took you, you know, you're in a public place. This is probably in a, a military part, just right adjacent to the temple. So there's lots of people there. They would have tied Jesus to a pole. They would have tied both arms. He would have been bent over where he couldn't protect himself or move. And then two Roman soldiers called lictors would step forward. The kind of whips that they used, they may have used a variety. If you've ever seen the movie Passion, and I highly recommend it, maybe not for kids under 9 or 10, but it's just, it's the best, most realistic movie I've ever seen about Jesus Christ's death. And it ends with the resurrection, which makes it great too. But... The, the, the standard weapon they would use was like, if you think of a bull whip, you have a handle, then you have a leather strap coming out. A lot of the times these were smaller than that, and they had sev- several leather straps coming out of it. And they would tie sharpened pieces of bone and rock and lead in there to make it really kind of a deadly weapon and to make it heavier. The Jewish people in the Old Testament said you could flog someone if they committed a bad crime, but no more than 40 lashes because more than 40, you were just humiliating them and you might kill them. And, and the Jewish people were legalistically about it, so they said we will only whip them 39 times, not 40. The Romans had no such rules, so when they began to start beating you, they stopped when they got tired or when they started. They didn't want to go on anymore. So they tied Jesus up, and they would have began to, to whip him. It's, it's very possible, too, that the Roman soldiers that were in Jerusalem were from Samaria, who were the diehard sworn enemies of the Jewish people, and the Syrians, who at this time did not like the Jewish people either. They were drafted. It's near Jerusalem in that area. And so these guys that were whipping Jesus may have been natural enemies to the Jewish people and hated them anyway, which makes it just, it raises the intensity level. I want to show you just about 20 seconds from the, the movie The Passion, and this is, just, even in the movie, The Passion, this is just scratching the, the tip of the iceberg of what the flogging was like. I'll be honest with you. At that point, I would have said, time out. What do y'all need me to do for us to stop this? And I know this morning, some of the stuff we're going to talk about and see, you may go, oh, man, I don't need to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'm not trying to gross you out. But listen, this is, this is reality. We want to look realistically at the cross, don't we? You go home and you watch some reality show that's fake. Isn't that funny? 
a fake reality show. This is reality. Dr. Truman Davis, who studied the crucifixion and the flogging, here's what he said typically happened. As they begin to beat the victim, they would peel, flesh would begin to peel off, muscles exposed, veins exposed. Uh, sometimes eyes would be ripped out. The body is just a complete bloody mass by the time they're finished. And oftentimes, if they weren't going to crucify you in several days, you would have died anyway. So it's not meant to just punish you a little bit. It was absolutely brutal. That's part of the process. The next thing that happened after the flogging, Jesus is abused by the Roman soldiers. In John 19, verse 2 and 3, look what it says. This is after the flogging, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They arrayed him in a purple robe, and they came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Wow. This is after the flogging, they know Jesus has said he's the king of the Jews, so they're going to they're gonna make fun of him. This is Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, this is your Lord and Savior. If you're not a Christian, this is he went all, through all this. I'll touch on this at the end. For you and for me. In, in Palestine, there are thorn bushes that literally grow thorns up to 12 inches a foot. Now, we don't know if that's the ones used here. But can you imagine after what Jesus has been through, then they take this crown of thorns and they stick it down on his head to mock him. It says they put a purple robe on him. That doesn't really mean anything to to us unless you're from LSU, right? And a purple was the color of royalty. And so it's also a cavalry robe. So they're mocking Jesus. Basically, what they're doing is they're mocking him. They're saying, you're the king. And then they begin to hit him and abuse him and spit on him. Roman soldiers played a, a, a game they called happy hand where they'd blindfold the victim and they would hit him and say, who hit me? Tell us who hit you. Tell us who hit you. That's what they were doing for Jesus and doing to Jesus. And then it says they crucified him. Then they crucified him after this. In, in verse 16 through 18, It says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. Golgotha, place of the skull, I want to show you uh, on a, a picture, if you look, the, the picture on the left, that's it today, but on the right, that small picture is how it looked about 120 years ago, and it literally looks like a skull. And that, there, there's two places, if you were to go to Jerusalem, where the, the archaeologists say, or, or probably one of these two is the sites where Jesus crucified. I think it was this one. This is the one I was sold on because right behind this is a garden tomb. Now, the other place could, could, could certainly be true too. It's just a very beautiful church right now. So where you walk up where they say Jesus is crucified, it's a beautiful church. And where the garden tomb is a little ways away is a, inside this beautiful church. But that looks like a skull to me. Now, the place of the skull may have just meant that's a place where people die or there was literally skulls laying around. Both of these places are outside of the city gates, and that was important. That was, that was uh, also part of the law and the process of the crucifixion. Now, what did Jesus carry? Jesus probably carried this part of the cross right here. This part was already out there laying on the ground, so he carried this. We don't know for sure probably 50 to 100 pounds. And the, the, the way from where Jesus was to the cross is called the Via Della Rosa. Would y'all like for me to sing that song right now? No, you wouldn't. And 
I have walked that, and it's probably 200 yards, 220 yards. And so th- this week, go out and, and, and run for 30 minutes and let someone hit you for about 30 minutes and then put 75 pounds on your back and then try to walk up a hill 200 yards. Jesus couldn't do it, and they had to draft someone to help him to, to, to get there to the place of being crucified. Crucifixion had been around 700 years by the time Jesus is killed. The Persians started it, but the Romans had perfected it. Now, to give you a little context, America hadn't been a country 250 years. Think about that. That's how long crucifixion is. And so they perfected it, and it was a slow, agonizing, humiliating death. That was, a, that was the process. When you were going to be crucified, when they crucified Jesus, they were doing it to slowly, humiliatingly, brutally kill him. In fact, the, the, the Latin people created a word to describe crucifixion. Excruciating comes, literally means out of the cross. The pain was so terrible, they had to create a word excruciating for it. So they get Jesus there after all he's been through, and they would have laid him down, and then they would begin to have driven nails into probably right here. That We would call that the upper wrist. They considered that part of the hand, so that's no biblical contradiction. And where they would have driven that, they, it's very important. They weren't going to break any bones, but they would have hit the median nerve, which would have been tremendously painful, tremendously, tremendously painful. And then they would have done that with the other hand. And then they would put his feet together. And it's very possible they used one nail, about a seven-inch nail, and drove it through both heels. They considered that part of the feet. Put their heels together and drove a nail through there to tack Jesus to the cross. I want you to see just a part from the movie The Passion about this too. Well, I got uh, Hello. How the come? Come <gasps> It's unimaginable, isn't it, to think about that? Dr. David Taraska is the man who studied the crucifixion, and and this just makes sense. He said once they got the person tacked to the cross, they would set that cross in place, and when they did, it was not uncommon to separate shoulders and elbows, if you can imagine how terrible that would have been when the cross was set in place. Cicero, who was a Roman orator, said the cross was so horrible that a Roman citizen should never think not even think or mention the name of the cross. Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells later after Jesus' day that the Romans had encircled a group of insurgents, people that were causing problems, and they captured some of their their men. They threatened to crucify one person, and they knew how horrible crucifixion was. They surrendered right then with the one agreement no one would be crucified. That's how horrible crucifixion was. Again, this wasn't done in a lab, in a neat, clean place. This wasn't done in a private place. This was done on Passover weekend in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's normally a city of 30,000. Now it's probably got 100,000 more. It's done in a place, it's, it's, it's a crossroad, so metropolitan that on Jesus' cross, they put King of the Jews in Latin, Aramaic, and Greek. 
And there's two criminals, two pretty bad dudes on the sides of Jesus too. So it's humiliating, it's horrible, it's terrible, it's painful. And I just want you to think about this, man, because we're going to answer the why in a moment. But this is terrible. This is absolutely horrible. And I want to give you the next part of this, and that's the spiritual aspects. I mean, if the physical's not bad enough, the Bible tells us when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross not for his sins, but for the sins of the world. And that Jesus had all of our junk, all of our sins, all of our mess, all of our lies, all of our deceptions, all of our hypocrisies, all of our adulteries, all of our fornication, all that, had all of that dumped on him. In Matthew 26, Jesus said, God, if, God the Father, if, if this cup can be removed from me, remove it. The cup literally meant the wrath of God. The wrath of God, so it wouldn't be poured out on you, was poured out on Jesus on the cross. The Bible says at one point, God the Father looked away from the Son, and even Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me at this time? We can't, I cannot grasp the physical aspects of this, the spiritual are way beyond our ability to grasp. But the spiritual was absolutely horrible. The next thing I would tell you is that Jesus died. He died on the cross. Have any of you ever heard any, uh, a theory called the swoon theory? Has anybody heard of that? It's not on the Big Bang Theory. I don't know if you... The swoon, the-, the swoon theory may be the dumbest theory ever. The swoon theory says Jesus didn't die on the cross. He was just knocked out. And they took him off that cross, knocked out, and they put him in that nice, cool cave. And I guess they gave him a protein bar and a Powerade. And, and you know, a, a day or two later, he woke up, and he just felt better. And he pushed that 1,500-pound rock out of the way, and he just disappeared in the night. That's, a, that's foolishness, isn't it? Folks, the Romans, the Romans didn't put somebody on the cross to let him down to live. They put him on the cross to kill him. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus, verse 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that was all was finished, said to fulfill the Scriptures, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. They put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Listen, that's a politically correct way of saying he died. How did Jesus die? We don't know for sure. Asphyxiation? Did he, did he suffocate? Did he have some kind of uh, a heart attack or, or some kind of uh, something happened to his heart right there at the last? We don't know. Was it just blood loss and shock? It was a combination of things. But I want to tell you, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, ultimately what happened is Jesus died on the cross. And then it says they pierced his side. And all these things are important. In chapter 19, verse 31, since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who who had been crucified. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Verse 34, but one soldier pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water." This was Friday afternoon. Uh, the Sabbath starts at sundown. 
on Friday night. It's the Passover, the biggest Sabbath of the year for them. So the Jewish people wanted these bodies off the cross and all this done with before the Sabbath. So Pilate agrees. So here's how they hastened your death if you're on the cross. They broke your legs. I'd always thought maybe they would break the small bones in your your, your legs. And when you can't pull up to breathe anymore, you suffocate. Some people believe they broke their femurs. How horrible that would have been. Took a mallet and and broke their, their, their femurs, which would have, they couldn't have pulled up and breathed anymore, but the pain and the suffering and the trauma of that would have been enough probably to end their lives. They got to Jesus. They said, he's not, he's not alive, but they want to make double sure. And the Bible said not a bone of his would be broken, and it wasn't. So they pierced his side, probably coming up from the right and piercing him, we would say on Jesus' right side here. And when they did, it says water and blood came out. I remember talking to Billy Smith, who's a cardiologist, several years ago about this. said they probably pierced the pericardium. That's a sac around your heart. And almost certainly would have pierced the heart, too. And when blood and water came out, that was almost a sure medical sign that he's dead. But when you pierce your pericardium in your heart with a spear, you're going to die. Jesus died. Listen, Jesus was dead. I won't read this last part for time's sake, but the end of the chapter, it says they take him down and they bury him. Why did they bury him? Because you bury dead people. I'm giving you full permission at my funeral. Come by and check my pulse. I do not want to be buried alive. Do you? You're not going to be today in this day and age. But they buried Jesus because Jesus Christ was dead. Dr. Gary Habermas is a, a, an expert in the crucifixion and the resurrection. Listen to what he said. If you've if you got a little skepticism in you, there's at least 12 sources within 100 to 150 years of Jesus outside of the Bible, 12 sources, some date within 20 years of the death and resurrection of Christ that testify that Jesus of Nazareth lived and died and was executed under Pontius Pilate. Listen, the fact that Jesus was real and that he lived and died, and next week we're going to get him out of the tomb, by the way. You need to come back. But the fact that he lived and died is absolutely true. John Dominic Crossan is a famous or infamous liberal theologian who doesn't believe in the resurrection, but here's what he said about Jesus. He said, Jesus Christ lived and Jesus Christ died. That's a documented historical fact. I want to throw something to you that I think is kind of neat. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Listen to what it says. For this reason, the father loves me. This Jesus taught him because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I want you to get a hold of this. They didn't drag Jesus to the cross. They didn't make him go unwillingly. Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly. In fact, I would tell you, if he wouldn't have wanted to go, he wouldn't have gone. But he went willingly. Let's answer this question, why? Why do you get spit on? Why do you get abused? Why do you get flogged? Why do you get brutally, humiliatingly murdered? For something you haven't done. Why do you do that? I want to tell you this morning. For you. He did it for you. He did it for you. 1 John 2, 2. Man, what a great verse. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ died for you and me. He died to pay the price for your sins. Listen to me. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned 
for all have sinned. You have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Somebody's going to pay a price for their sins. And the Jewish people had an elaborate Old Testament system of sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But it was incomplete. And then let's look at 1 John 2, 2, one more time. And then it says, he is the propitiation. I'll explain that word for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. You are included in the whole world. Amen? Propitiation, if you're taking notes. What a tremendous word. It means to appease, to make favorable, to absorb the wrath. It's the idea of atonement, of satisfying and paying for the wrong. In other words, somebody has to pay for your sins and my sins. And Jesus said, I will pay that price. He, why did he go to the cross? To make forgiveness and salvation possible. You're not going to go to heaven because you're good or nice or what. You have a chance to know Christ because of what Christ did for you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is such a great verse. For our sake, for your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to get, get this in your head. I want you to think about this. God says, let me have your adultery. Let me have your fornication. Let me have your pornography. Let me have your hatred. Let me have your bitterness. Let me have your gossip. Let me have your slander. Let me have all the rotten junk in your life. And let's put it on Jesus who's never sinned and let him pay the price for it. And then I'm going to take the perfection and the grace and the holiness of Jesus and I'm going to put it on you. Isn't that awesome? That's what happened. That's what can happen because what happened on the cross. We take all of our junk and God puts it on Jesus and he puts his righteousness on us. Lee Strobel, man, you, you need to read Lee Strobel. He wrote the book Case for Christ. You can go home this afternoon and Netflix the Case for Christ movie. It would be worth you watching. It's tremendous. He was an atheist. He said the worst thing that could happen to him is his wife got saved. And so he set out as a legal journalist to destroy Christianity. By the time it was all over, he became a Christian. Right at the end of his journey, he was talking to an expert in the New Testament, a man named Dr. Metherell. And he asked him, why did Jesus do this? Why did he go through this? And Dr. Metherell looked back at him. He said, Lee, for you, because he loves you. Because he loves you. Romans 5, 8, man, what a great verse. But God demonstrates his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you something that that makes me want to scream. In our church, I don't believe this is true, but it's true with a lot of Christians in a lot of churches. Hey, if you'll get cleaned up, and you'll get good, and you'll get right, and you'll get rid of your junk, then you can come and be a part of us, and Jesus will love you. That's not how it works. Jesus went to the cross knowing the worst things about you and me. Jesus is not asking you, clean up, straighten up, and then we'll decide if we'll take you. Jesus is saying, come as you are. I died for you as you are. I want to change you forever. Is that not awesome? That's why he did it. And here's the last thing I want to say this morning, last word, and that's you. That's you. That's me. What do we need to do this morning? You know what we need to do? We need to embrace the cross. Some of you are going, well, I'm a Christian. I embraced it in Bible school 48 years ago. You ought to embrace it every day. 
You ought to embrace the cross every day. If you're not a Christian, give your life to Christ, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Embrace Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. I want to look in chapter 19, verse 30. Very significant. The last words Jesus said while he was alive, before he died and then he came back. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The New Testament was written in Greek. It is finished is one Greek word. You know what it means? It's a word of victory. It means paid in full. It means accomplished. Jesus' last words before he died were, I've done it. It's over. We win and they lose. Is that not awesome? They have found tax receipts. By the way, do you know what tomorrow is, you older people? It's tax day. They have found ancient tax receipts from Jesus' day with that one word on it, paid in full. In other words, you don't owe them anything else. And Jesus said, I've done it. I've paid the price for you. We have a beautiful old hymn. I wouldn't dare try to sing this to you, but I will just share this last part of the course. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Man, I challenge you this morning. I challenge you this morning. I challenge you to embrace the cross today and never let go of it. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, let's, let's come back to Jesus Let's do whatever we have to do to get right with him today. If you're not a Christian or if you're unsure if you are, but you're ready today, pray with me. Sincerely pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me. That you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you.